Good morning, Oakwood. Before we get started, I just want to say a big thank you. I don't know if, if you came in through the, our lobby area, what we know is the gap, and you saw these quilts out there, but we had quilts made uh, by a group called His Quilters, made for every one of our pastors, and they are on display out there, and they made these with love and a lot of time to, to just show that they love us. And we appreciate that so much. And please go out and see those quilts. They're on, on display. And on behalf of all of the pastors, I just want to say thank you. And if you're part of that His Quilters group, come up and tell us, hey, I'm, I'm part of the His Quilters so we can hug your neck and just tell you thank you in person. I don't know that I've ever been given a pastor appreciation gift that was ever done with so much love and time as, as these quilts. It's incredible. So go out there and look those over uh, when, when we're done. Well, we're in the final week of this series called Inside the Lines. Inside the Lines. And we've learned a lot about lines so far. Lines are boundaries, and we have these boundary lines in just about every area of our life. And boundaries are, are not only there to protect us, but they also give us order in a world that would be chaos without some boundary lines and these guidelines. Just about every sport, and, and I thought about this, I think every sport has some kind of guidelines, boundary lines, to ensure that the game is being played fairly, from ping pong to football, and often the game is decided literally on whether a foot was in or out of the boundary line. We don't get to make up our own boundaries. I can remember as kids, we used to, we would have football. And we'd say, okay, now that tree's the end zone, and this little shrub down here, that's the other end zone. But sometimes like, well, you were out of bounds. Well, no, I wasn't. I was still in. And we don't get to make up our own boundaries, okay? If we did, I would never lose, I promise. When we drive, we have boundaries, white lines that keep us within the roadway. When we park a car, it shows us where we need to park. And if you're one of those people that take up two parking spots that, um, or kind of crowd the boundary line, we forgive you of that. Can you imagine driving without any boundary lines? What's the, one of the first things that we're taught in school when the teacher puts down one of these pages and hands you a crayon and tells you what? Color within the lines. To stay within the lines. So we know that we are to stay within the lines. Now, if you're like me, I sometimes like to push the boundary lines. Okay? If the speed limit says 55, I might like to go 56. Or m maybe 60. I was one of those kids when they said, okay, don't cross this line here. You can't get any closer than that. Really? Okay. I'm going to put my toes right up to the edge, and then I might step over it. Anybody here with me? Okay. I got a lot of spankings for that. You guys, I don't know if you got spankings for that. But our Bible is the guideline to show us where God's boundary lines are and to make sure we live within those. And I want to tell you something that I've learned. You know, a lot of what we preach on is life lessons that we've learned ourselves so that we can teach you not to make the same mistakes that we've made. But here's what I've learned. 
When I live my life inside the boundary lines of God, my life works. Okay? I can't explain it. Don't expect to have some great theological explanation. I can just tell you, when I live my life in those boundary lines of God, my life works. And when I live outside of those boundary lines, then my world is chaos. That's when I have decisions that I regret. And normally I make a mess and things end in disaster. And if you wonder why our world is so messed up, it's because if we're trying to live our life by this set of guidelines, and most of the world doesn't have the same guideline that we do, they're not playing on the same playing court, so to speak. They don't have the same boundary lines. And so that's why this world is so messed up because we're playing by God's boundary lines and they're playing by their own. Let me give you a quote from Harvey Weinstein. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's been in the news just about every single day for the last couple of weeks. He's an American film producer and a film studio executive. He co-founded Miramax. This is what he said, okay? Hollywood has the best moral compass. Let me repeat that. Hollywood has the best moral compass. Now, lately in the last week, we found out that he's been accused of numerous rapes, sexual uh, assaults, unwanted uh, sexual uh, harassment. But yet, that's the best moral compass? That's why our world is so messed up, friends. But as Christians, we've been called to live a life within God's guideline, not just to keep us out of trouble, but so that we can honor God. But unfortunately, many people have compromised and decided it's easier to live outside of God's boundaries than it is to live inside. Let me share with you some uh, results of a survey that Pastor Ken Hughes recently conducted. And he asked this question. What are you willing to do for $10 million? Okay, $10 million, that's, that's a pretty healthy size of, of money. But what are you willing to do? He found out that one in four people would abandon their family forever and sever all contact and ties with them for, forever. One in four. He also found out that almost, 20, almost 25%, 23 point something, would become a prostitute for a week. So one in four people would be a prostitute for a week. Now, this is the real shocker, okay? 7%, okay, 7% would kill a stranger. Okay, so we're averaging our church over 700 each week, so that means that each week there might be 50 people sitting here that would kill you for $10 million. Think about that, yikes. I hope they're not sitting beside you this morning. But I, I don't have $10 million to offer, so maybe you're safe. I want to give you two questions to think about this morning. Number one, in what area of your life have you or would you be willing to compromise? Would it be your career, your marriage, your ethics, your morals, your sexual purity, your finances, your job for an, an advancement? What area of your life would you be willing or have you compromised? Second question I want you to think about is have you established a personal set of boundary lines 
A personal standard of behavior that says, this is as far as I'm going to go. This is my line. And I'm not going to cross it. Now I'm not talking about some political red line because we know those all change, don't they? Okay, Political red lines mean absolutely nothing. But I'm talking about your personal standard that says, this is it. I won't cross this line no matter what. Here's something I want you to know, friends, and you can write this down in your notes. Whatever you say no to, that's where your temptation begins. Whatever you say no to, that's where your temptation begins. We've all been shocked at somebody that we've seen that have taken a huge moral failure and they've compromised. And you think, how did they do that? Maybe it was a pastor of a church or a church leader. Maybe it was a business leader. Maybe it was a sports hero that you admired and you see now that they cheated. And you think, what happened to them? I, I can't believe that they did that. Well, while this disappoints us, I want to tell you, I'm not surprised by it. Because I know how Satan operates. Because whatever we say no to, that's where temptation's going to begin. So today we're going to look at a young man in the Bible... His name is Daniel, and he was a great example of someone who recognized God's guidelines and said, I'm not going to cross them. And this is where I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to keep these as a standard of my life. Well, his story is found in, guess what, book of the Bible, Daniel, named after him. Imagine that. But as we proceed, I want you to pay special attention to how God took care of this young man in a divine way. So here's the story. This takes place in 605 B.C. in the land of Babylon. What we know of today is modern-day Iraq. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, marched his army into Jerusalem. He destroyed the place. He ransacked and looted the temple. He stole the wealth. Okay, now does that sound like similar to what Saddam Hussein did to Kuwait. You know, he didn't go in there and kill a bunch of people. He just took their wealth, their, their gold, their, their valuables, and, and he left. So he took all the, the, the wealth and the gold from the temple of Israel, but he also arrested and took captive some of the royal family and some of the brightest, smartest young men. He arrested them and he marched them hundreds of miles back to Babylon. And you see, his goal was to erase all remnants of their faith, their Judaism, from, from their life, and to fill them with the world, with the best and the brightest that this world had to offer. And so he was going to try to raise the IQ of his own country. So he, he picked out the handsome, the smart, the quick to understand, the people from the royal family, you know, that had no physical defect. They were probably the people that had all their teeth. And they were to serve the king. Nebuchadnezzar assigned them to this guy by the name of Ashpenaz. And he was the chief of the court's officials. Well, among this group of young men that were arrested and marched back to Babylon were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you may know these guys better by their new name that they were given. Where they were called... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They were thrown into a fiery furnace, but that's a whole other story. Well, they got marched back to Babylon. They shaved their head, pierced their ear, gave them new clothes, and also gave them new names. Daniel now became Belshazzar. Okay? And that first part of his name came from the Babylonian god Belte. So they wanted to strip away the Hebrew names. And they gave them Babylonian names. And they were to enter this training program designed to slowly strip away their culture, slowly strip away all their religious beliefs, and to replace it with Babylonian culture and traditions and customs. This process wasn't going to happen overnight. It was going to take three full years. And at the end of that three years, they were to enter the king's service. Read with me in Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So this was going to take a little bit of time to refine these guys, to to educate them, to reprogram their minds. But the problem was that Daniel saw what was going on. And he knew that if he went through with this, that one day... One day he would wake up and he would no longer be a Hebrew, one of God's children, and one day he'd, be wake, he'd wake up and he'd be Babylonian through and through. And he would have lost his entire history and his faith. He saw the end game. But he knew little by little he was going to be changed. Wasn't going to happen all in one day, but little by little he was going to be changed. And so Daniel and his buddies were going to be asked to make a series of compromises, small, insignificant steps, each and of themselves, towards abandoning all their religious beliefs and their heritage and in being replaced with a pagan culture. But the end was the place where Daniel didn't want to be. And he knew where he was going. You see, Daniel recognized what sometimes we as Christians miss. Compromise does not erase the struggle, but it only weakens our resolve. You see, Daniel realized that compromise is usually a slow process. I don't think anybody wakes up one morning and thinks, you know, I think I'm going to compromise today on everything that I have believed in all my life. My standards, my principles, my faith, my heritage, my family morals and values. I'm just going to compromise it all today. But I think it happens little by little. And when we compromise, it only moves God's guidelines a little further down the road to resolve yourself means that you're going to decide once and for all I'm standing firm. You see, if you cheat, it's easier to do it the next time. If you get by with it once, it's easier to get by with it again. It's what we tell ourselves. If you compromise with alcohol or recreational drugs, it's easier to do it again. If you cross a boundary line in marriage and you step away from your marriage commitment, it's easier to do it again. If you click on something that is inappropriate on your computer, 
it's easier to do it again. Read with me in verse 8, chapter 1, what Daniel said. But Daniel resolved. Do you get that? He resolved. That means he made a decision not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Well, why not eat? I mean, it's just food. What's it going to matter? Well, there was a couple different reasons that may have been the case why he decided not to defile himself. One was this food very likely could have been offered to Babylonian gods already. And so it was this food and this wine was offered to a Babylonian god. And so he said, I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to acknowledge their authority over me in my life. It could have been that Daniel didn't know how this food was prepared. You see, he was an Israelite, a Hebrew, and they were to eat kosher food. And he didn't know maybe what was in this food, whether it was kosher or not. And so he said, I'm not going to defile myself. I mean, you're thinking, it's just food. What's it matter? Maybe he just didn't like the taste of it. Okay? Maybe he just wasn't used to it. You know, sometimes when we're offered food that we're not used to eating, sometimes we just don't like the taste of it. Maybe it's the texture of it. I got a, a unique experience last night. Never in my life had I eaten Thai food. Anybody here eaten Thai food before? A lot of you. And I can honestly tell you, I got it to go box, and most of it came home. I don't think I'd make a very good tie, okay? Because if I had to eat that all the time, you know, I probably wouldn't be very happy. Or I just wouldn't like it. It just didn't, wasn't my favorite. But that wasn't the problem. It wasn't like, well, it just really doesn't meet my taste buds. Daniel knew that he'd been pushed as far as he was going to go. But was this worth losing his life over? Was this worth losing his friend's life over? It was just a small compromise, but apparently Daniel had decided, whoa, I've stretched as far as I'm going to go, and I'm not going any further. And we see that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Now, can you imagine when he went and told the king's official, I'm not going to defile, or, uh, you know, defile myself. You're not going to what? Well, I'm not going to defile myself with, with this food. Young man, do you realize that there are people starving in the streets of Babylon? We already have more slaves than we need. We're going to weed some of you guys out, and you're telling me you're going to not defile yourself? It's an honor to eat the king's food. But yet, you're going to turn it down and say, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to defile myself? You guys ought to be glad you're alive. You ought to be glad to eat whatever we put in front of you, and you have decided not to defile yourself? You see, we have no idea what hangs in the balance when we compromise. We may think we do, but we don't. And I want you to write this down in your notes. That moment when you decide to compromise will be a defining moment in your life. Daniel made up his mind before he knew the end of the story. You see, the book of Daniel hadn't been written yet. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. But he knew that he wasn't going to compromise. And that's our challenge, is deciding in advance before we know the end of the story. Before we know the outcome and trusting God. Well, here's how the story continues. 
Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So they asked Ashpenaz if they could have a vegetable and water diet. Okay, but did you get the first part of that verse 9? Now God. There's always a now God moment, isn't there? And Daniel, for Daniel, this was the now God moment. This was God's plan to set Daniel apart that he had way bigger plans for him than to eat king's food. So they asked Ashpenaz, hey, could we do this experiment and just have vegetables and water? And he said, do you not realize what would happen to me if the king sees you guys looking malnourished and skinny and, and you're just not very alert and you just kind of look kind of frail and scrawny? Do you realize what's going to happen to me? I'm probably going to die because you've decided not to defile yourself. Well, he kind of turned his head and he said, all right, we'll test this, but it's only going to be a 10-day test. And if I see you guys, if I see you guys looking scrawny and unhealthy, deals up. But at the end of the 10 days, they looked better. They were sharper, more alert than the guys who were eating the king's food. Back to Scripture, verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So here's my challenge to you today. Before you know the end of the story, because your story has not been written yet, okay? You have to make up your mind not to compromise. You have to make up your mind right now, I'm not going to go any further. Because you may not know how the story ends, but I can assure you, you know how the story is going to end if you don't make that decision. And if you have to make up that decision now, because if you don't, someone else is going to make that decision for you. They will decide for you where your boundary line is. You have to make up your mind not to compromise in your marriage, your morals, your finances, family, your job, your career. You see, compromising doesn't erase the struggle or the tension. It only weakens our resolve. It only makes things more complicated. Proverbs 11, verse 3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Let's kind of wind this down this morning. Maybe you haven't made up your mind yet. If you haven't made up your mind, you're lined in the sand, your boundary, I can promise you somebody else is going to make it for you. 
Maybe you haven't decided that God's the most important thing in my life and I'm going to do everything within my life to honor Him and I'm not going to compromise any way. Like Daniel, you may not know what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust God in every area of your life. But for Daniel, he said, you can cut my hair, you can pierce my ear, you can teach me a new language, you can give me a new name, but that's as far as I'm going to go. I can tell you, in my life, the greatest regrets I have could have been avoided if I had followed God's guidelines 100% of the time. And your greatest regrets can and will be avoided if you have established God's guidelines. And I can promise you future regrets will be as well. But you have to make up your mind to get inside God's lines. Friends, I want you to remember this, okay? And you can write this down. When you start compromising yourself or your morals for the people around you, it's probably time to change the people around you. That may mean some new friends. It may mean some people that you can't associate with any longer. Have you made up your mind and have you drawn your boundary? This is as far as I'm going to go. Period. Let me stop right here and address those of you who have, have blown it. Maybe you have compromised and maybe you've compromised in a big way. Maybe you were in the newspaper. Maybe you got your picture in Jailbirds and you compromised and you've just blown it. Maybe you stepped out on your marriage and you've been unfaithful. Maybe you've been living a secret lie and you've been dealing with an addiction like porn or gambling or some addiction, whatever it is. And it's easy for us to say, well, I'm a failure now. There's no hope for me. I want to tell you something this morning. God brought you here today to tell you there is hope. There's hope and forgiveness in Him. Amen? And so it doesn't matter what you've done. No matter how much you have blown it, how many times, there is hope and forgiveness and restoration in Jesus Christ. And he tells us that he takes our sin as far from the east and he throws it to the west. Now, I don't know how far that is, but apparently it's a pretty long way because you can't measure it. He says, I'm going to throw it away. And guess what? I'm not going to remember it anymore at all. It's gone. God wants you to know today that he loves you and he forgives you. Even if you've blown it. And he takes it even further and he says, I'm going to create in you a clean and a pure heart. And he's able to, to repair and to restore what the enemy has stolen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, I pray for those today that have struggled with compromising. Compromising their faith. Maybe their, their ethics and morals and their standards in their job or marriage. Maybe with a relationship. Maybe there are some right now that are having some inappropriate conversations and text messages with somebody that's not their spouse. And Lord, they need to make that decision to stop right here and now because this is as far as it's going to go. 
Maybe there's someone here today that is, has just blown it and they feel that there's no coming back. But Lord, there's hope and forgiveness in You. Father, thank You for what You've done for us. Thank You for the story of Daniel and, and the strong conviction that he had. So Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here today that is struggling with maybe a sin in their life that, Father, they make this decision right now to get right with You. And I pray that they will just come to our decision room and allow us to minister and to talk and to bring healing and hope in Jesus name. Amen.